And hello, and welcome to the latest Guernsey Green Finance podcast in conversation with. My name is Dr. Andy Sloan. I'm Deputy Chief Executive, Director of Strategy at Guernsey Finance, and I chair Guernsey Green Finance, our sustainable finance initiative. Guernsey as a jurisdiction is one that's made a significant and serious commitment to sustainable finance. We're proud to have been at the forefront of product development in the fields of funds in the private wealth space, and we've also got a very active programme of international engagement and collaboration. Our Guernsey Green Finance podcast series is one part of that programme where we speak regularly with leading figures from around the globe in the realm of sustainable finance about latest developments and thoughts and views. And we're really proud to receive the accolade of Top 10 Green Finance podcast by greenfinance.com. Today, I'm hugely delighted to be in conversation with a very dear friend and colleague of mine, Stephen Nolan, Managing Director of the FC4S. Hello, Stephen. How are you? Hi, Andy. Great to be with you today. Well, it's brilliant that you're joining us today, Stephen. And we're primarily we're hoping to talk about shifting gears too. Uh, I won't, no spoiler alert, so it's, it's an amazing uh, report talking about the development of sustainable finance across the network of FC4S. But to give a little bit of background for our listeners, I just wondered, you know, to get us started, and if you could maybe give us a bit of the history and the context to the, the UN's FC4S global network. Sure. Great question, Andy. Great question. Uh, to kick us off today. So uh, the FC Fresh or Financial Centres for Sustainability Network was born out of the Italian's G7 presidency in 2017, where green finance was a central theme of the agenda, including the, the basic question, how could financial centres contribute to the delivery of the Sustainable Development Goals and the Paris Agreement? On the back of that question, uh, the UN uh, brought together 11 financial centres in Casablanca in September 2017, where we discussed that question on the topic of sustainable finance and the broader agenda. And on the back of that meeting in Casablanca, agreement was reached to establish the International Network of Financial Centres for Sustainability, or FCFRES, as it is today, uh, and to work together, those initial 11 financial centres, to work together towards achieving the Sustainable Development Goals and the, the Paris Agreement. So a UN-convened network, in its work, uh, FCFRES network is supported by both the UNDP Finance Sector Hub and the UN Environment Programme Finance Initiative. As of January this year, we're at 33 members across the world, including yourselves, Paris, Frankfurt, London, New York, Toronto, Rio de Janeiro, Mexico City, uh, Lagos, Cairo, Hong Kong, Beijing, Tokyo. It's just a flavour of some of those 33 members. And collectively, you know, it's just a key stat is that group represents in and around 80% of the global equity market. That's incredible stuff. I mean, we at Guernsey, we were introduced by uh, the UK. So Roger Gifford introduced uh, ourselves to you. And I still remember our conference call uh, when we were you know, looking at exploring joining the group back uh, two or three summers back now. Um, and, you know, it was amazing stuff. And I think that first AGM uh, that we we joined was up in uh, was over in uh, Shanghai uh, a couple of years ago. There's been a lot of changes. You've got a couple of new co-chairs. Um, and you've obviously got new members and a, and a greater geographic spread of members. How do you think that the changes are going to impact the work of the network going forwards? Yeah, I'll come to that in a moment, actually. If I could just actually go back to Sir Roger and Sir Roger Gifford, I think, you know, no surprise that he made the introduction and was great. And I can remember when you guys onboarded, but I think, you know, Sir Roger... Uh, not just for the city of London, but generally at a global level, has been one of the modern architects of the green finance agenda. And I think, you know, he helped a lot of members get introduced to FC Fresh. So it's great to see that link 
with you guys as well. With regard to your second, uh, or sorry, with regard to your question, Andy, yeah, in exciting despite COVID, um, I think, you know, we'll come to report later on, but there's been a surge in green and sustainable finance across 2020. We saw that incredible stuff, what our members are doing individually and collectively under the FC4S banner. And then we were very fortunate to have three new members join last year, Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia, Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, and Montreal in Canada. Uh, and by the end of this year, we expect to be close to, to 40 members, given the interest in, in January already. Of, of new large financial centres approaching us. And I think, as you pointed out, you're right, we had uh, the initial co-chairs for the first two years were Paris and Shanghai and just Pierre and Conway, absolutely super leaders. And they helped the fc us network grow from 11 to what is now 33 members. Now, the next phase, we have got Jennifer Reynolds in Toronto, Toronto Finance International, and Lamia Mazuki in uh, Casablanca Finance City Authority. And just, just fantastic, different regions of the world. You've got Toronto as the second largest financial centre there in the Americas. And then you've got Casablanca really as the gateway into the broader sustainable finance activities in, in Africa. And, you know, building on Pierre and Conway, uh, their activities, you can see in our new co-chairs, a lot of the focus will be on the regions. Uh, how can we strengthen from Europe, Asia, the Americas and Africa what we do on the ground, which obviously for sorry for obvious reasons last year was delayed because of COVID. And we hope to spin that up this year. And also, you know, uh, FC for us of 33 members and what we represent collectively. We are in that top tier of global sustainable finance initiatives and our coaches really want to build on that this year and ensure that the financial centres and what they represent are included in those discussions around bringing this agenda to next level at the policy and, and regulatory level. So it's been a pretty exciting time since our most recent AGM at the end of October, where the two new co-chairs were, were nominated. And then, Andy, if you look at those three new members, uh, it's great. We now have five members in the Americas. We've added an extra member in Asia. Um, and it's really exciting seeing that geographical balance as well, because right now, Europe, uh, no surprise, is the largest within the FCFRS network of 14 members, but the newer members have just onboarded and the, the most recent approaches we are getting are in, in across Africa, the Americas and Asia. And that will bring a good geographical balance to the network and will allow for the better uh, sharing of best practice at a more wider geographical level as well, Andy. Great. And that's, you know, that geographic um, sort of spread is really important. And <laughs> Jump in here with a sort of an unscripted question, actually, is uh, not to give a going away that we actually script these things. But uh, you talk about the geographic, the five members from North America, you know, obviously with recent political changes in the US and the US coming back to Paris, that's going to be a big boost, is it not, for the, for the, for the, the work in North America? Sure. So it's actually five members in the America. So all the way back from, you know, Rio and Brazil, Mexico City, New York, uh, Toronto and uh, Montreal. But I, but I agree, Randy. So isn't it incredible, you know, within hours of being, uh, you know, the inauguration uh, signed back up to the Paris Agreement? And I think what we've already been seeing, Andy, and you've probably been seeing it with your own clients as well, at the company level, at the city level, at the state level in America the last few years, a lot of serious effort has been going into the climate action agenda. We've seen more and more firms, uh, US-based with global operations, integrate ESG, go beyond the climate, also to the social and obviously governance, redirect you know, capital flows towards projects in this space. So that has been going on and that has been super. But now, to your point, Andy, at the national federal level, the step back into the Paris Agreement just sends a, such a signal of intent 
And I read an article over the weekend where it looked at President Biden's cabinet. It looked at, you know, Secretary Kerry's role. The former head of the EPA is now the climate advisor in the White House. But it made that point that, you know, most members of the cabinet will have something to do with climate from, from homeland security, from defense, from transport, obviously EPA and others. So it's quite interesting to see that shift. Uh, and I think from an American perspective, it is really at the core of what America is trying to do. And as I said, you know, national security included in that uh, in terms of the risks around climate, but also on the flip side. I remember watching before the election, Secretary Kerry on CNN, uh, and he was just talking and went very strong on the jobs potential uh, around this transition, uh, the jobs potential around manufacturing, the job potential around you know capital markets. And so very, very interesting and very exciting to see uh, the US back in the power supreme. That's great guns, isn't it? I mean, uh, um, you know, you make a really good point about the, the, the jobs and the potential uh, of the economic benefits. But I'll, I'll come back to that in a moment, if I may, Stephen. I'm going you to know, stay on this sort of regional sort of uh, pivot at the moment. But, you know, we just talked about North America. You've got a global network. Just last week, um, uh, Mercedes Vela Montserrat from AD, uh, Abu Dhabi Global Markets was was chairing the Abu Dhabi Sustainable Finance Forum, at which the uh, FC4S Shifting Gears 2 uh, report was launched and the assessment. I mean, it's a great piece of work. I want to come on to, the, to it now. I mean, one of the big takeaways for me was the the, the, the pivoting or the the, the, the pivoting to, to broader sustainability, you know, going beyond climate, I think you called it in, in the report. Uh, we'd seen that very much too. And it's great to appreciate and being part of your network, you know, how common some of these experiences are. But if I may, that shifting gears too, I remember shifting gears one being launched in Brussels to just two years ago. It feels feels maybe two centuries ago with everything that's happened in the meantime. But you, for you, what were the key you know, the key aspects, your, your sort of headline takeaways from the Shifting Gears to report. Sure. Uh, and Andy, just first, you know, we were delighted to launch the report as part of the Abu Dhabi Global Market Sustainable Finance Forum. FC Fresh has been involved with the AG, ADGM's event for the last three years since it started. We've moderated, we participated in the panel, and it was great this year that Jennifer and Lamy as co-chairs uh, launched the report as part of a panel there on financial centres. And I think, you know, and you have to compliment Mercedes and her team, what they've done in Abu Dhabi is just remarkable, how they've managed to convene everybody around the same table and do very practical things on the ground, which are hugely impactful. So I think for us, it was just great. And it made total sense to to launch the report uh, during the Abu Dhabi virtual event this year. And then the second point, Andy, I can remember when we were all in Brussels in 2019, March, it was near St. Paddy's Day, uh, or just after St. Paddy's Day, perhaps, and I remember you were very taken with Shifting Gears 1, which is super. Uh, and we were able to launch it with the commissioner at the time as part of the commission's uh, sustainable finance summit, which I think 11 of our European members attended that day, including yourself, which was great. You know, we were hoping, if you call Andy, we're all going to the, the same event last year in March. Uh, and then obviously lockdown hit, hit, and so the commission's event was cancelled. And we have been planning at that point, Andy, on, on launching Shifting Gears uh, the second report a year on, but if you, if you recall, we shifted to the paper on COVID and released the first paper globally on uh, on sustainable finance and the impact of COVID-19. So that brings me to Shifting Gears 2 this year. Trilled, uh, the 24 of the then 30 members, uh, so 80% hit, uh, were able to participate, including yourself. Uh, and as I said, delighted to launch it last week. And if I may, Andy, now just build on your, your question in terms of the findings. Well, the first one is, 
I, you know, you would have seen it, I would have seen it, and our colleagues around the world, but 2020 saw a sustainable finance surge despite uh, the pandemic. So it didn't it didn't stop the sustainable to drive within financial centres. Indeed, the ESG and sustainable development goals aligned ETFs grew from under just $59 billion last at the end of 2019 to just over $174 billion at the close of 2020, December last year. Equities were not alone, you know, debt instruments, green ESG bonds reached record highs last year. They had a bit of a stumble in March as COVID really kicked in, but it grew to just over a trillion dollars in collective issuance last year with a record $269 billion of that in, in 2020. So that's, I suppose, kind of the framing is that uh, the, 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 the sustainable finance, the broader ESG agenda really surged last year despite COVID. And from the report itself, Andy, from Shifting Gears 2, we highlighted eight kind of eight key insights and how our member centres are mobilising capital resources, expertise to, to align with the SDGs of Paris Agreement. I think the first one, Andy, was a thirst for data. Uh, data quality and availability is a challenge. Uh, uh, you know, accessibility, reliability, incompleteness, as well as a lack of necessary skills or analytical capabilities are hindering process and mainstream sustainable finance globally. And within that, the, the data piece is key. And you would know that better than most, Andy. Yet there are, you know, really good things happening within our, within our financial centers and trying to overcome that and come to that in a moment. A point you made earlier on, going beyond climate. climate. Uh, so climate change is the major focus. Uh, but for many, uh, you know, of our members now and different regional national initiatives, uh, it is the point of entry to sustainable finance but other verticals um, are also being considered now, and the UN Sustainable Development Goals are, ba- are, are being gradually adopted as, as the global framework by mature public and private institutions and impact funds. So that's very key as well. And then biodiversity, I know we'll get to that in a moment, but biodiversity also emerging as an important team, no surprise given the pandemic last year. Regulatory environment, critical driver, uh, and what you guys say, for example, doing Guernsey, you know, positive enabler, Major driver of sustainable finance signal into the market. Uh, what what is going what is going to what what's coming down the pipeline? And you know what we also noted, Andy, is that there's around 200 different policies uh, within our different members uh, around sustainable finance. But we felt there's still room for further ambition policy and regulations to be developed in this space. Uh, commitments from authorities are key for takeoff. Again, the backing you guys have in Guernsey, the leadership there has really helped you position yourself as a leader in this space. Um, some of the some of the other things we saw, Andy, was still a need for increasing international collaboration, and you know the growth and the continued growth of FCFRS kind of s- speaks to that. Uh, and a lesson learned from the pandemic is that we, we need to deal with the issue of climate action and how we finance it in a more collaborative and co- coordinated way internationally. So that's another key finding we had there, Andy. Uh, a, a real, you know, for me, one of the key ones was around capacity building. And, you know, the kind of takeaway there was it doesn't really matter, you know, the different policies and regulations that are pumped out if within the market there isn't the capacity and the technical capacity to to adopt those new regulations, apply them to your firms, develop new products and services in the business line. And if you don't have that capacity, that understanding, well, then we're going to struggle. Because I think the key thing, Andy, and sometimes we hear in this narrative, you swear that the financial system and the market has not put any cash towards the low-carbon agenda. It has. Hundreds of billions have been invested in renewables, energy efficiency, and, and so on and so forth. But in order to meet our, you know, the EU Green Deal, as an example, we need to scale to the trillions. 
We need to mobilize more cash. We need to develop new products and services. The regulatory environment has been put there. But a big thing we're seeing among our members, Andy, is how do we build that capacity to allow us to develop those products and services to scale? And that was a, a big issue uh, for us at the findings last year. And, and I'll stop there, Andy. No, you make a very good point there in that maturity points. Um, and, you know, um, for, the, for the purposes of, you know, of, of, being, of being appropriate, I mean, it was amazing stuff from Abu Dhabi last week and Mercedes and the guys there have done an incredible job. And one thing, the takeaway for me when we, we interviewed Mercedes just a couple of weeks ago on, on the podcast was just how developed and mature it was in Abu Dhabi. You know, the, the frameworks that were already in place, the collaboration of partners um, and how sophisticated uh, the offer was. But in terms of that maturity, Stephen, one of the points that um, you make in the report about a lot of the sectors are not 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 there yet, as it were. There's you know the, 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 there's been great developments in the green bond space, but the the data and the as you make the point, the data and the capacity, um, there's still a, a, a lot to go. Do you think, in that respect, that 2021 with COP26, that you you'll see. Uh, you expect there to be a significant um, shifting of gears again, as it were? Yeah. I, I agree with you. And we go back to when your earlier points, you know, the, the U.S. Is, is fully back at the table, right? Uh, and, and, and the weight of the U.S. And as you, you made a point earlier on, you know, globally, we're seeing these issues in every financial centre, right? So this isn't just a European issue or an Asian issue. These these issues, as we, as we, as we brought them together and analysed them, they came from 24 financial centres around the world. Yeah, and that that that's a key thing for us. So I think what we're going to see, Andy, this year in terms of member priorities is that focusing on data, as you pointed out. It's the focusing on going beyond climate, but also that capacity building. And if, if we look at that and capacity building brought together, you need both to develop new products and services. Yeah. And uh, if we are not if we're not seeing a development of those new products and services, well, we won't be we won't be reaching our targets. So you even saw it in Abu Dhabi, they're putting a huge amount of investment into capacity building because they see that as a, you know a basic building block. We're seeing that in Paris, we're seeing it in Dublin, my hometown, we're seeing it in Hong Kong and other places. And so I really do feel, Andy, that this year is going to be a, a big year, in particular with the UK leadership as well, as, well, as you said around COP twenty six and the Italians. Uh, being involved there in the G20. So there's a lot of things happening this year, Andy, but the key thing for me is we're beyond the, you know, we're way beyond the narrative that this agenda is corporate social responsibility or a nice thing to have. You and the rest of the jurisdictions have seen from a regulatory uh, regulatory uh, environment, uh, the development of new policies, as I mentioned, hundreds of new policies coming out now. Firms no longer can stick their head in the sand. The firms who are forward-looking are very much adopting and applying this new agenda to the business, uh, and that's what excites me right now, Andy. The you know sometimes the calls that we get from CEOs of major financial institutions around the world saying we're doing this, we're looking at doing that. Can you give us some advice on how we develop that plan? It's really exciting because it's the shift, this massive shift is now underway. And as my colleagues in the UN pointed out to me, the UN uh, inquiry into the design of a sustainable financial system when they started. In 2014, 2015, Andy, you know, this is kind of seen, oh, is it, is it a nice thing to have? Is it mainstream? And that quite revolution that's happened over the last few years has now brought us to this point, whereby despite the pandemic, we've seen a surge and we all know why that happened. And I think that's going to continue into 2021, especially with COP coming up on, on the horizon and the key role of green and sustainable finance within that. 
Yeah, good point. I mean, there's a sort of a follow-up that I wanted to ask you there. In terms of going forward, you sort of say that the, the, the room to develop this year, one of the, the takeaways for me in the report was saying that the regulatory environment still remains a critical driver um, and that, you know, new policy initiatives can be a positive enabler. Um, and one thing that we learned from it is being able, as a, as a participant, being able to look at the um, you know, where we were against our peers and understanding what more, more greater moves we could make. Um, what when you say in the report that there's still room for more ambitious policies and regulations to, develop, to be developed, how do you see or what momentum do you see you know, in that area? Um, with obviously, with, obviously with the, with the EU policy initiative, with the with the, with the UK looking to do more, uh, and with the Americans coming back to the table, do you think policy is going to be something that's you know, there'll be a, a, a serious step change this year, or is it likely to be incremental? No, I, I think an interesting thing that came up in, in particular across Q3 and Q4 last year, but, but other countries have done before that, is the commitment by by a lot of countries towards a, a net zero transition by 2050, right? And that being put into place via legislation through their parliaments in, in those countries. And, and the UK obviously, you know, haven't led on that. So it, it's very much what we're seeing now, Andy, is, okay, well, you know, we want to be there. And, and the EU obviously have a major role in that. And, you know, stepping back, what does that look like in, in terms of what sort, sort of policy environment needs to be put in place now to enable that to happen? Uh, how do we continuously reflect on where we are in terms of the baseline and where we want to be and how do we update those policies? You know, in updating those policies, what impact do they have on obviously the regulatory environment as well? But fundamentally, uh, and the you know the achievement of that net zero by twenty fifty has to be paid for. Uh, it has to be financed, and this is the critical role that the the financial services sector has uh, in in financing that transition. And so, with net zero and other things that have come to play last year, it is giving the financial system a better sense of what the roadmap looks like. What are the investment opportunities? And then, as you pointed out, we're seeing a surge in recent years in, in policy and regulatory environments. And I think, in particular, because of net zero, we're going to see that happen, you know, more so this year. But secondly, we're seeing these institutions, because it's not it's not only the market participants that are struggling with this agenda from a capacity and capability side. We're seeing more people be hired into the regulators, more people being hired into the policy-making machines on, who've got expertise in this topic. So again, I, I, I expect to see to see more there as well, Andy. And I really do think, Andy, if you go back a few years, and I can remember, you know, uh, a global finance head saying this to me, what we're seeing, and let's just use the EU as an example, is the development of these new policies and regulations. They are now coming into law, the taxonomy, the climate bonds, uh, the disclosure thing we're seeing, sustainable finance disclosure reg, you know, in Mar from March 10th on. So they're now beginning to, to hit the firms. And I really do feel, you know, as they get built on and, the Commissioner McGuinness is looking at a, a social taxonomy and different things that they're looking at that they're going to build on those initial regs this year. So we will see more action happen. We will, we do see that the Commission is saying, look, you know, just because of COVID, we're not taking the foot off the pedal of anything. We need to go deeper, uh, which is quite, quite quite exciting. But when you strip that back, Andy, we're, it's, it's large firms now that have, as I said earlier, to adopt and apply. And so once their innovation kicks in, once they begin looking at within their firms or maybe building capability and hiring, you're going to see more products and services come out of those firms. So, you know, the foot will be kept on the pedal for policy and regulatory. I can see for the next few years because it has to be. But as I said, as the firms begin to, to spin up the capability, we'll see no, more products and services uh, come out the far side and more cash being mobilized. So, 
yes, there will be more and there is more to be done, but more and more of the bigger firms and smaller firms are now getting on top of the agenda, uh, which is also quite exciting. Yeah, it's a good point there, Stephen. I mean, and actually what was intuitive for me is you were using a, a phrase that I don't even think we were in common parlance of, you know, net zero, the race to zero just 12 months ago. You know, it, the, the hashtags weren't quite as ubiquitous as they are now. So, you know, in terms of focusing people's minds on the policy developments and what the objective is, is, is being a real... Um, Real positive step, quite frankly. But in terms of that international policy work that you do refer to there and the international engagement, um, obviously with the network, um, we actually had uh, Gareth Phillips from the African Development Bank on or late last autumn, early fall, uh, and talking about the you know the need to finance. The, you know, it's one thing, but firms being able to make their net zero commitments. It's about enabling jurisdictions and countries to make the net zero commitment. And obviously, Africa, in a case in point, having a um, you know its own unique set of challenges. And it's great to say Lamia, you know, being a co-chair, they're representing the region. You know, being being able to um, you know bring that international expertise to 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 the to, to the region. I have a sort of a thought that's just just thinking out loud here. It is we recently um, responded to the US's Climate Leadership Finance Initiative's consultation on financing in emerging markets, and one of the issues that we've discussed and thrown up um, was the the need for an increasing movement of cross border capital. And I think if you read the various IPCC reports, there is actually you know recognition that cross border capital flows are where there's probably the greatest impediments to financing uh, climate change mitigation. And uh, now, obviously, in, in Sub-Saharan Africa, it's adaptation as much as mitigation. And I just want to throw you know, an idea in there as whether, do you think that you know, looking at that um, that particular issue is something that would be, be really apposite for the expertise of the, of the FC4S network? You know, and apologies for just thinking out loud here, but it came to me while you were speaking. Sure. You know, if you take a step back for a moment, hasn't that always been one of the challenges with the flow of capital, which is global by its very nature, into developing or, or emerging markets? It's been more, more challenging to, to, to you know, what, what you said. And I think uh, it's in, it's in our, our report, but you know, it blew me away. The decrease in 2020 of FDI into Africa was remarkable, right? Uh, as we as we gone through the COVID pandemic, so what the likes of Lamia is doing in Casablanca, and you know she builds out you know MOUs with Abidjan, Lagos, and so on and so forth, is that she's really you know working with those other centres to say, well, this is how we built the Casablanca Financial Centre Authority, and actually create one entity that is put in charge uh, to coordinate across the different entities policy and reg about how do you create an environment which is obviously a benefit to the home country that attracts foreign capital to come in, into your country, you know, in terms of certainty, rule of law, uh, pipeline about, you know, renewable, solar, energy efficiency, whatever, maybe type projects. And so that's something that, you know, we, we are seeing happening in a more sustained way. It's something that FC Fresh wants to really, really, really support. And then the other side, Andy, there's another reason why we need to be supporting it because my background is in the mobile technology space. And the innovation that has come out of Africa, for example, in this space is just remarkable. And so we're seeing these innovators that, you know, you know, in that case, didn't have to build the kind of BT telecoms network that, you know, we would have had in, you know, you would have had in the UK others. And we're a lot more innovative 
about that last mile and, and different technology solutions. So I also feel when you bring it into the, the clean tech, the renewable energy space, the innovation we're going to see, the entrepreneur activities and solutions that we'll probably find we'll be using in Europe and further afield in the next few years, it just, it's just remarkable, the opportunity. But as you point out, we need to get capital flowing. It's not just VC or C capital. It has to be at the large infrastructure side. So yes, there is a great opportunity for FC Fresh to work to mobilize that capital. And I know that's what Lamy wants to see us do. And I think the key thing, Andy, if you look at what we've achieved uh, and the findings as per this year's report, but both behind that, FC Fresh has created the first framework of its kind globally to allow a center, financial center, measure its alignment with the Paris Agreement. And I've been able to know that baseline and how far, how close you are, helps us then to develop out in terms of the next range of its strategic plan. And part of that, with the alignment of the Paris Agreement, the next phase is, okay, well, how do we then mobilize more capital towards this agenda? And not just in the home country, but also further field, for example, in, in, in Africa. So I think there's a big, big opportunity for FC Fresno space. And Andy, I would say watch this space because we are looking at doing something meaningful in the mobilization of capital in support of, of infrastructure in Africa and other developing world countries. Amazing stuff. And that's, you know, it's, a, it's an amazing development. And so it's something that probably couldn't really shout from the rooftops loud enough about, about developing that framework for jurisdiction. It's certainly been very useful for us. And also the, other, the aspect of being in part of the network that's been useful for us is that international collaboration and learning, you know, that knowledge share and knowledge transfer. It's been, you know, amazing stuff. Sorry to be sort of like, don't to be sort of too much of a love in here, Stephen, but, you know, and agreeing with everything you had to say there about that, those necessary conditions for capital to flow. I think it's easy to forget that some of those are sort of like invariant to the, you know, to the issue at hand. I'll come to a final point. I'm rushing out of time, actually, quite frankly, um, to this. We could have gone on oh, all week, probably, actually, and, and still been chewing the cud at the end of it. But, um, I do want to come back to that point that you make about uh, you know jobs and uh, and such and again it's it's very it's, it's difficult to get this, the, the tone right on this one. You know, nobody really should be talking about the post-COVID recovery as yet. I don't think COVID is going anywhere anytime soon. It's you know it's almost like a a, a living with COVID recovery. But the, the 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 ability for maybe climate finance to re-engineer. Um, the job market or the, the, the infrastructure and or the, the, the employment opportunities, both through new technologies and existing technologies, is something that's been talked about a lot. You referred to it earlier. In terms of, you know, we're talking about the, the, the jobs and the, the employment opportunities from climate finance, obviously um, it's pre premature to talk about a post-COVID recovery, but maybe it's a living with COVID recovery that we're all looking for. Um, perhaps maybe you could, we could come to an end point here on a, on a positive, you know, looking forward to the future um, about how you see perhaps the development of jobs and opportunities and economic opportunities through green finance and maybe give us a taste of how that is seen through the prism of the network. Uh, and look, it's a, it's, a, it's a really great question because at the end of the day, the financial system, the financial services sector should be and needs to be servicing the needs of the real economy, right? Otherwise, we're, we're back to a situation like 2008 where products and services were being developed that had no real linkage to, to the real economy and we saw what that got us. So that, that's a great question, Andy. It links back to your question before about Africa. It links back, you know, some of the stuff we were saying about Asia and elsewhere. And if you look at the EU uh, Green Deal, it's trillions is required over the next decade. So fundamentally, to, to shift 
climate action, net zero by 2050 or whatever year, different countries have picked, significant capital is required. However, Andy, you know, when we look at how much capital would have been spent anyway, there's only a few extra trillion, which I know is a huge figure, but it's an extra few trillion on top of what was probably going to be spent. So we need to make sure that whatever's been spent has been spent and, you know, put towards uh, the, the best investments uh, from, the, you know, through that, that, that they, you know, integrating the VSG into those investments and different frameworks around them. But Andy, you know, the also the other part is that we're not just going to suddenly arrive in a situation where we've hit net zero. We have to transition as well. And this is something Nick's, Nick Robbins would go on about the just transition. And we're seeing that more and more used uh, as a phrase. Some of the jobs that are, that we, that are, you know, our economies are built on today will lose out in this transition, you know, coal, oil, gas, and uh, sectors like that. And we as a society have to figure out, well, look, is that just we leave those people to the side and they're unemployed and whatever may happen there? Or do we actually try and work with that group and that group of society to upskill? And what do those new jobs look like? And, you know, we're seeing things, you know, from EVs or, you know, a huge opportunity is in the uh, retrofitting of homes and commercial outfits and or commercial buildings. So I- I'm quite excited about that, Andy, uh, but, but I do recognize that there are going to be losers from a, an economic segment perspective as we shift. And as a society, we need to figure out how we deal with that. And I think a key thing that we saw out of COVID last year, Andy, and, you know, in some of the darkest days, which unfortunately have, have seen to return, is when you, you look at some of those big firms that we know and, and their workers are saying, well, we haven't got healthcare or we don't feel we're being protected here. And you kind of got, that's the S part of the ESG, the, the social part. So I'm kind of rambling a little bit, Andy, but I think, you know, there's huge opportunity in terms of the cash flow and capital flow. Uh, require the amounts to to finance the decarbonization and shift to, to to net zero. There's going to be a transition within that. We can't lose sight of that. You know how can we actually transition those segments uh, of the economy into new jobs if we can at all? That's that's the other one. The third one then is you know on the back of COVID, you know we hear build back better. You know as you said, we're we're not out the door yet, but we we do need to be in the stimulus plans that have been developed and more and more jurisdictions are doing that. They're, they're building in elements around climate action as this, this capital flows. And then the other part, Andy, goes back to, as you said earlier on, beyond climate. And that's the broader ESG agenda, and, you know, biodiversity, for example, as well. These are other issues that are very much coming up to the, the inside track very, very quickly. And so, you know, uh, when, you, when you break it all down, the cash needs to be reorientated. The financial services sector is now really working to adopt and apply these new rules. And my sense is that FC Fresh has a big role to play in that to support our members at their financial central level uh, and to push that information out into, into, into the center, the stock exchange, banks, insurance at a regional level. You know, you give Africa as an example there, or the Americas, or how can we as 14 European uh, located financial centers support the commission in what they're trying to do? And then at a global level, uh, you know, with the UN, the World Bank, and these other, you know, coalition of finance ministers for climate action, how can we as FC4S provide insight that they don't have and as the commission have said to FC for us uh, several times, the policy side and regulatory is, is top down, whereas what we're seeing at the financial centre is bottom up, and we're providing that intel and insight that these policymakers and regulators don't have. And I think that's what what excites me about this year is those, those things and how we go from a local, national, and, and, and a global level, Andy. Cheers, Stephen. I mean, you you talked about a couple of COVID silver linings. If you like, why do you excuse the 
uh, sorry, wrong tone of that phrase there. But uh, actually, you talked about biodiversity. One of the things to throw up, I think, over the course of the last year was that recognition that uh, biodiversity loss. Yeah, you know, it's, it's more than just climate, as, as it were, in terms of the, the human race's symbiosis with the rest of the planet. Um, you've done a bit of work on that on that front. We have C4S uh, as, as well. Have you got a, just a, a couple of seconds to talk about about that work on the task force on natural related disclosures? So, so really, really exciting, Andy. Again, biodiversity is emerging as an issue, a, a big issue last year and into this year. And I think, Andy, you know, we've seen and you've been at the coal phase how long it's taken to 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 mainstream, and it's not quite there yet, the sustainable finance agenda. It's taken a long time. I think what we're going to see the biodiversity agenda and the financing of the biodiversity agenda is that it will learn from what we were doing in terms of sustainable finance. And I think it'll be a lot more shorter uh, timeline where you and your 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 clients and within Gurns will be will be having to look at uh, biodiversity issues in terms of finance or disclosure. So that's the first point. Um, the second point is from an FC4S perspective, this is something that, that we're looking at uh, in a major way, as you know, you're on the working group and effectively noting that initiatives around biodiversity are, are dramatically increasing around the world. Many are taking a systemic view of the changes needed to align the financial system with the needs of a healthy planet. Some of the basic questions we're seeing, what reforms are needed to the rules governing financial capital markets to ensure that these align with requirements of a healthy planet? Or more immediately, the question is, how can biodiversity risk and impact be made material in the decisions taken by financial institutions and actors? So we're seeing that this is a, a big agenda point. And, you know, Andy, you, Paris, uh, and a few other members are, are around the table, Hong Kong and others, are helping FCFRS and the FCFRS Secretariat develop a mapping exercise of what's going on across, you know, the norms, investment standards, data, fintech, new instruments, as relates to biodiversity. Share as relates to the finance of the biodiversity, share that with the full 33 members in, in early April and with a suggestion of, of a roadmap of what FC4S could do more in this space. But it's something that the FC4S, you know, if you look at it as a network, Andy, we could do horizon scanning and bring back information to the members and the full membership that perhaps not everybody was aware of was an issue that was coming down the pipeline and, uh, and support our members as they try to integrate that into what to do on a day-to-day basis. And Stephen, I think on, on that note, I mean, I think if that horizon scan, that, that, that ability of the network to do that, I think that's a, a really apposite point to conclude. Um, often in these, I, I sort of at this point ask about people's backstories, but I think we're going to save that for a, a profile that we'll do on you uh, in future years, such as your the, the, the role and the contribution that you've made to climate change mitigation. So... I just want to you know, conclude there, Steve, and say thank you very so much. You've been a great friend and colleague over the years. You've been doing some sterling work with FC4S. You've taken it. Uh, you've really shifted gears with the network, quite frankly, over the you know over the course of the last eighteen months, two years. It's really great to hear about the, the sort of the spirit of collaboration and the 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 achievements of collaboration, the ability of FC4S to provide that jurisdictional framework and assessment again you know alignment with Paris we use it a lot and I, you know, I recommend that most jurisdictions and any jurisdiction that consider itself a serious finance center look to use it too um, and it's great to really hear about you know some of the plans that you've got to take you know to take it on to that next step for sure that the world's going to need it um, so you know I just want to say look thanks Stephen you've, you've been great hopefully going to be seeing you soon. Uh, if not, we'll not, not we'll be seeing each other, you know, um, virtually if not physically. Um, but it'd be great to to be sort of physically together at some point this year. 
So, at that point, I'm going to say thanks again, Stephen, for your time and insights today. Thank you, Andy, and I will see. Thank you for your leadership and your colleagues. Thanks, guys. You too. So thank you very much, everybody. We've got a a great back catalogue of interviews and panel discussions on the Guernsey Green Finance podcast. You can check them out by searching for Guernsey Green Finance wherever you get your podcasts, be it Spotify or wherever, um, Apple. You can also find us at guernseygreenfinance.org and weareguernsey.com and interact with us on Twitter at GSY Green Finance and at We Are Guernsey. Obviously, we've also got links to Stephen and the UNFC4S's social media and our show notes where you can pick up the FC4S Shifting Gears 2 report. So do check these out to hear even more from Stephen. And we'll be back soon with another edition of Guernsey Green Finance Podcast. But for now, goodbye. <laughs>